This week on The Vergecast, Addie Robertson and Alex Kranz join the show. We talk about what on earth happened with OnlyFans. Lots of iPhone rumors and other Apple product rumors heating up as September comes closer and a grab bag for the ages. That's coming up on The Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, flagship podcast of the passion economy. Wow. That was the thing. The VCs were trying to call the creator economy the passion economy for like 48 hours. I'm Neil. I'm your friend, the proprietor of the passion economy, the Atlanta's newest nightclub experience. That's what that sounds like to me every time I hear it. <laughs> Dieter Bone is here. I'm your battery containment bag. Ooh. Is that an airplane thing? Yeah. It's a, it's a phone's lighting on fire joke. Oh, boy. <laughs> This is going all over the place already. <laughs> Alex Kranz is here. I am the dongle I will one day buy to make my webcam work. Wow. I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> I think everyone is. It's going to be great. And Addie Robertson is here. Hi. I am a quickly reverse policy position. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Speaking of that, we got to talk about OnlyFans. There's a bunch of Apple rumors to talk about all this stuff. Uh, I want to start where we always start with covid uh, big news, the, the Pfizer vaccine was given full FDA approval. I didn't actually know what FDA approval like really meant, and Liz and Mary Beth explained it to me. It means that they're allowed to start marketing the drug. Yeah. Like the, the fundamental thing that that means, beyond, besides overcoming vaccine hesitancy with the, uh, the stamp of government approval, is that they're allowed to start mar- – they're allowed to do ads – they're allowed to like mm-hmm. start marketing because the thing is safe for the, the uses it's been approved for. And that means that we learned its name. Yeah. And it, it had the name for a long time, but they weren't allowed to market it. So they never said the name out loud. And then they got this approval that everyone was waiting for. And the Biden administration had been like teasing. The approval is coming. We can start doing the mandates. And they're like, and it's called Carmernati. <laughs> Comirnaty is the, is the official name of the vaccine. Isn't it Comernity? It's supposed to sound like community and RNA. Wait, wait, is that it? Is yeah. it supposed to sound like immunity? Yes, it's supposed to sound community with mRNA in the middle. Yeah. Oh, no. I've been pronouncing it Comernati because I think they should market it as Natty Boost. And like give it away at frat parties. I support that. I support that way yeah. more. Community. <laughs> Can we just uh, actually hang on? Community is an anagram for manic Tory, which makes me think it's it's named after the prime minister of the UK. Oh my god! Uh, it's also uh, an anagram for tiny macro, which I personally love because if you think about the way uh, 
you know, a vaccine works. It's like a little little macro. You know, it repeats the same thing over and over again. Uh, what, what else we got here? Oh, omit carny. So if you think of if you think of the that's racist the coronavirus <laughs> as a carny, that's racist. Uh, Ro- Roman city is the last one there, which is um, pretty good. Uh, that's actually good. An army tonic. So many Americans love so anything that's vaguely European. Yeah, yeah. We have to mention that the Moderna vaccine is called SpikeVax, by the way, right? <laughs> SpikeVax is very also good. amazing. Not as good as Natty Boost, though. <laughs> Natty Boost isn't like, <laughs> just go with it. It's just sitting there for you. All these names were uh, come up. They were generated by a company called the Brand Institute, mm. which like, okay. they, uh, like all these companies paid the Brand Institute. And you can tell that like Moderna just paid them more money. Yeah. Because they got spike backs. <laughs> and <laughs> Pfizer was like, come on. <laughs> but they can't, they can't use the name spike vax in the United States yet because it's not approved. Right. So I can't get my spike vax tattoo yet. Yeah. You got to wait for the official approval. Meanwhile, my Johnson Johnson vaccine is, I think, officially going to be named Womp Womp. <laughs> uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine is named Vaxzevria, uh, which sa- it sounds like a level in a Max Payne game. That's my full... Vexevria, like you have to go there. It's my favorite JRPG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this is all it, the point of this is it the Pfizer vaccine is approved in the United States by the FDA. It means they can start marketing it. It means that Pfizer is going to run ads for it, which is interesting. And that's going to happen next to a bunch of mandates, which will hopefully bring this thing to an end. In the meantime, though, Delta continues to rage. Many things are being canceled. VidCon was canceled this week. They're saying the next one will be in June. Uh, right now, it's supposed to be the New York Auto Show. That is canceled. I will tell you the car companies are all scrambling to figure out how they're going to announce. If you've noticed, there's a lot of car CEOs on Decoder lately. <laughs> it's like they just like it, there's just car CEOs just wandering the streets looking for a home. <laughs> and we, we just take them in. And then there's like the the general, okay, we want people to get vaccinated. There's mandates. We have to store and have apps for that stuff. So Samsung Pay is not going to let you store a digital version of your COVID vaccine card. Uh I was telling you, New York State has something called the Excelsior Pass. I love it. There's also something called the Excelsior Pass Plus. No. I couldn't get that one. Could you get it? <laughs> it's like, do I have to? Is it a streaming service? Uh, it's very confusing. <laughs> but all it's it's all like the response to Delta is a higher push for vaccines and what will eventually be uh, a push towards boosters. But now that you see that the FDA approval coming and the marketing approval coming, I think we're going to enter another phase of conversation about these vaccines because they will be marketed as products, which if you're a Vergecast listener, you know that once something becomes a product, all kinds of wacky things start happening. So we'll see. But if you haven't been vaccinated yet, please go do it. It will hopefully bring this thing to an end sooner rather than later. Okay. Speaking of things that began and ended very quickly. That's a good seg. It did it. Addy, by the time people listen to this, your explainer about what on earth happened with OnlyFans will be up. There's a uh, mystery at the heart of it, but try to explain what happened here. Uh, so technically nothing happened here, but <laughs> if something were to have happened here, it would have started last week when OnlyFans, um, which if you're not familiar with it, it's a sort of subscription-based kind of crowdfunding creator economy app, except that it is also it is overwhelmingly popular with and sort of synonymous with sex work. Um, it announced that it was going to ban explicit sexual content. And it was not immediately clear why it was doing this, except that it was saying there was sort of general pressure from payment processors and banks. 
which could mean a lot of things, obviously. And eventually their CEO said it's because banks wouldn't work with us. Um, They named three banks. Then about 24 hours later, they said, "Okay, wait, actually, no, we're not banning this. We're cool. We signed agreements with people. Uh, We can support our entire class of creators. Nothing's happening. Never mind. This policy is not going into place October 1st as it was before. Every step of that involved an enormous amount of confusion and chaos. And I would just, I'll just say it, guessing from everyone around, because OnlyFans has not said enough about why they made this decision, who pushed them into making it, and why they walked it back. Like, we just don't know a bunch of stuff. But the sort of like dot connecting that has happened all around us has been furious. And I would say that the actual creators on OnlyFans are rightfully pissed off. Like, this is their livelihood. And OnlyFans is like, we're shutting a lot of you off. And they were not clear about what they were actually banning. Yes. So they were, yeah, they banned referring to or advertising or posting their air quotes, explicit sexual content, uh, which included like most of the things you would think of as pornography. It did not necessarily include nudity. Um, Nudity was technically still allowed if it was consistent with the rest of the policy. But there was an email where they suggested that maybe anything that was like too salacious um, would still violate that policy. Like if you were zooming in too much. I mean, these platforms are always, they're incredibly unclear often, and they're often really frustrating for creators no matter what they do. And then you take that and you add on top of it the whole huge mess that is paying for porn online. So that's the the shape of it and kind of the problem. Let's take it sort of beat by beat. So first, OnlyFans announced a regular app for iOS and Android that complies with Apple and Google's relatively prudish rules. And they're like, this is just an app to discover non-porn on these platforms. And everyone th- thought, that's pretty weird. But okay. Like, they're not, like, well, I think one of the big questions, I, there are two giant categories of new tech things that are not expressed in the App Store. Um, OnlyFans is one of them. I mean, they're, it's legitimately a huge business. It cannot have an app because of Apple's rules and Google's rules. The other one is like crypto and NFTs. Like OpenSea is the big NFT marketplace. They can't have an app because it's digital goods and they don't want to pay the fee to Apple. So we're always kind of paying attention on a creator's desk. Like how are they going to get on the app store? It's a big market for them to get into. So they announced this safe for work app on iOS and Android. Like that's weird. And then there's a story in Axios, I think, that's like they're having trouble getting investors and the guy wants to cash out. And that was like, huh, that's weird. Like, it's a good business, like abstract away what they're, they're selling. Like it's a good business and you can see like, people pay it. They take a cut, taking a cut of transactions, a very good business on the internet. They have a good business. Then like minutes later, it feels like minutes later, there was, they're going to ban explicit content. And all they've pointed to is the banks. They haven't messaged out to anyone. Their own support channel on Twitter was DMing people saying it was a lie. Yeah. Not great. Not great. Then like later that night, there was like the BBC puts out a story that's like, this is because of us, because we have this investigation into their content moderation policies. Addy, what was going on there? That that one to me was the hardest one to unpack. Yeah. So their content, the BBC report was basically saying that OnlyFans, which by the way, is a UK based company, it had this policy that doesn't sound incredibly unusual for a platform in general, which is that they were more lenient with big accounts, that they had this sort of three strikes policy if you posted illegal content and you were a really big user on OnlyFans. 
Um, except that because OnlyFans is in large part uh, a sex site, it that was illegal content that was say related to um, like prostitution or related to other like sort of they had mentioned bestiality and incest, like things that are just really much more distasteful than a lot of the illegal content you would find on other platforms. So the BBC says we've got that we had this investigation and it was going to publish and OnlyFans know about it and their reaction to was to shut down all sexually explicit content. When I say there's like a lot of dot connecting here, like the BBC was like, check out this dot connecting we've done, <laughs> right? Like they were like taking credit for it, which is a strange look, but they, I get it. I get why they would think that. So, and then the last thing that happened at the end of last week, a bunch of people connected another dot, which is that MasterCard had announced in April that there would be new requirements for adult content providers that would start on October 15th. When I say there's like a lot of dot connecting, like MasterCard hadn't said this, OnlyFans hadn't said this, they had said payment providers, mm-hmm. and every, there's like a mad rush to blame MasterCard. Addie, have we learned anything about that relationship? So a lot of the next sort of big dot that you have to be getting to is that all of this kind of came to a head when OnlyFans CEO Tim Stokely did an interview with the Financial Times, uh, and his answer is, no, it has nothing to do with MasterCard. No, it has nothing to do with us seeking outside investors. That's not an issue. It is because there were banks and those banks, they would reject transfers or they closed our accounts without warning um, or they refused to work with us and they were threatening our business and we had no choice but to shut down our adult content service. So here is a very basic question. What is the difference between MasterCard and a bank? So I've been trying to parse this out, Um, but basically when you're starting a service like OnlyFans, really, really at a super broad high level, um, you have to work with a bank or a payment gateway, someone that's going to sort of handle the money that you make. And those companies have to work with MasterCard and Visa, which are the things that it's like the the little hook that allows someone to put in their credit card and pay you and transfer that money over into whatever bank or through whatever portal uh, you want to use. And Visa and MasterCard have rules that um, are technically for the banks, but are basically requirements for the services because a bank is not going to give up working with Visa and MasterCard to serve your site. And so a really key thing about this is that it's all really muddled, that there's this sort of reportedly the sort of feedback loop where if one party like Visa or MasterCard implement these rules, then a bank or a payment, like another payment processing service, they have to sort of interpret these rules. There's a chance they're going to try to err on the side of caution and end up being more conservative than Visa and MasterCard, um, that there is this whole very tangled mess of payment services. Um, But The really key point is, so MasterCard's new rules are these sort of specific, okay, you have to verify people's ages. You have to verify that these people consented to upload to upload this content. Um, they were we haven't touched this really, but they were largely a response to a controversy over Pornhub. That OnlyFans said, "Look, we were already compliant with all of those. Um, that's not an issue for us. The issue for us is that these banks felt like they were like we were damaging their reputation, and it's not necessarily that they were worried about specific things we were doing." It's that they just thought we were a bad look. Hmm. And this is like the heart of the whole matter, right? That we talk a a lot about content moderation on the show and like the layers of the internet and who gets to turn things on and off. And one that we rarely touch upon and is even rarely discussed is the power of the banking industry to say your business can't exist anymore, which is in that 
gets reflected into a content policy, which is more or less what it appears happened to OnlyFans here. One really additionally weird wrinkle is that um, there was also there's one specific thing that might help explain a little bit why banks particularly were freaked out, which is that in March there were some reports um, that I like I cannot comment on the accuracy of um, that there were banks were flagging transactions related to OnlyFans as being some kind of money laundering scheme. Um, and that those things in particular, they singled out banks and they were like, hey, look, it's banks and they're working with this company that's terrible. Um, and that that might have been a factor in it. But that's just another dot that it's really hard to connect up. I mean, with all of these dots, it seems like the temptation, and I think it's the right one, is you connect them up where they end up closest at the like the gatekeeping funnels that exist in every ecosystem. So, I mean, we've talked about the App Store already. That's one gatekeeper. And now there's banks. In a, I don't know, in a, a, another domain, I would assume like, I don't know, business screws up, another business rises to compete with it and fix the problem. But there's really not. And part of me wants to like, I don't know, say that if it weren't for FOSTA-SESTA, maybe there would be a viable competitor to only OnlyFans. But it just seems like there's constantly just surprising bottlenecks of control that we're not paying attention to. Yeah, I think so. Like organizations like the EFF have been pointing out that payment processing is it's this huge bottleneck that gets deployed, not necessarily just against sex work. It's also it's cut off donations to WikiLeaks, that it's this really huge point of where somebody can just cut off money and make it really, really hard for someone to do business. The sort of weird complication to this is that there are lots of services that compete with OnlyFans. There are a ton of them. Um, there are a lot of subscription services. One of the things I've talked to a couple of them, one thing that they tend to point out is that, look, obviously people were sell people sell porn outside OnlyFans. There are services that will work with porn. But the issue is they tend to charge really, really high fees. That one mm. of OnlyFans secret sauce is sort of that it gets to say that it's a generic provider. And so it gets to enjoy much, much lower fees if that's accurate than a service like, say, Just for Fans, which is like an OnlyFans competitor that is explicitly sex work focused. And so when a big part of the creator economy is based around what kind of commission splits you can offer the people on your service, being able to have like one estimate is like it costs them maybe half as much. Um, being able to have all of that extra money is a really huge deal. So it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily as simple as there are these points of censorship and they are like an on-off spigot that people turn and they will completely ban porn from the internet. But there are these friction points and OnlyFans ran into a friction point. So you, you mentioned uh, Pornhub before. It's useful to talk about Pornhub. They will obviously take your money in a variety of ways. What was the controversy around Pornhub and how did it bleed into this? So the controversy around Pornhub is um, first we have to there's lots of good reporting from other reporters on this, but that there are these anti-porn groups that have been fighting this battle to basically take down really big porn providers. And their justification is that this is an anti-trafficking battle. And they pointed out genuinely really bad stuff on Pornhub, that there are videos that were uploaded non-consensually. There are videos that involve children. I mean, a lot of these things, to be clear, they get taken down, but they found a lot of really terrible stuff. And there's lots of criticism of Pornhub within the adult industry. Um, it facilitates piracy. Um, just like, I just want to be clear. There's a lot of bad stuff with Pornhub. Hilariously, it also is a monopoly. 
Right, yeah, it's owned by MindGeek, which also owns, like, I think basically any other porn tube site you can name. Um, it's this huge company. And so there were the there was this big report about Pornhub. And then that got Visa and MasterCard to cut off service to it, saying, look, you just you have this giant sites like YouTube for porn and you don't vet anything. And Pornhub ended up announcing changes because of this. They added this sort of vetting program. But it was this really big moment for changing how Visa and MasterCard, which, again, are just absolutely massive bottlenecks. Like if they won't work with anyone you can work with, that is actually a massive issue for you, that it was this huge change that then has ended up bleeding into OnlyFans just because like it changed how the financial service worked, how financial services worked for porn and OnlyFans. It works really differently from Pornhub in a lot of ways. Um, but it's another really big service that's receiving a lot of scrutiny. Do you think that the banks decided to make this deal and back off because they were like, screw it, we'll, we'll like take the hit here, but we don't want ongoing scrutiny of our control over content moderation schemes? Because if I was a cynic, which obviously I am not, <laughs> I would say they took the L here because they do not want the additional attention of regulators and internet community focused on their power and how it's expressed. Uh, for a cynic, you have a really strong faith in the idea that there was going to be any oversight of this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have been in this field for a really long time and I've seen very, very little sustained scrutiny of Visa or MasterCard or banks. Like this stuff kind of glides off them. I'm really not convinced that banks would have been scared, especially because we didn't like we they named banks that had not worked with, like had refused to work with them. They did not name the banks they were working with. Um, so we don't even necessarily know who's involved here. It is very strange that we, after all this conversation, we have like the shape of something, but we actually have no details. Like it is fundamentally a mystery why they announced the change in such a hurry, why they backed off and what they are, what terms were reached such that they could back off. Like, we just don't know that information. If you want to go, like, opposite direction cynicism, Chessmaster, uh, OnlyFans was preempting the possibility that banks were going to protest because it had banking partners that worked and they were negotiating. And then OnlyFans was, okay, look, you are going to try to charge us higher rates or you're going to try to not work with us. We're going to go public and show you just how much support we can get. And then we're going to go and say, look at these banks, they suck. And then you are going to sign a deal with us. I don't know that that's necessarily particularly likely, but it's another story you could tell. Yeah. I just feel like that when we've heard stories like that, there's a little more planning, right? They would have like put out a video like Epic is like, <laughs> we screwed over Apple and they like t told people what they were doing and why. I'm just imagining the OnlyFans version of the 1984 commercial. Please don't make one of those and send it to me. Um, don't. just don't do that. Um, and then here's my last question, which is the wild card. I've, I will tell you, I've asked this question in every editor's meeting that we've had this week. And it, I think Russell Brandon, our policy editor, he, he might jump through zoom and kill me if I ask it again. Why didn't they just like start taking Bitcoin? Um, <laughs> like, isn't that the solution? Like finally something to buy with Bitcoin. Uh, they could also have had you attach your money to carrier pigeons and they could send you a carrier pigeon <laughs> and you could send the carrier pigeon over to your favorite creator. Um, no, I'm, I'm being snarky. And like there are other there are people who have gone into attempts to use cryptocurrency or NFTs around sex work. Um, there are sites that take cryptocurrency. Uh, it's just 
when we're talking about the volume that like OnlyFans just billions of dollars pass through it, it's just not a replacement for Visa and MasterCard at this point if you want to have a mainstream service. How quickly would the world explode from like the energy use if OnlyFans went exclusively to Bitcoin? <laughs> um, can I tell you, there's an obvious reason I know this. Uh, Pornhub takes a, 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 a cryptocurrency. And the reason I know it is because that cryptocurrency is called Verge. Mm. And there's just a lot of confused people around me all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I don't run a Bitcoin, y'all. Like, I, it's, it's not my thing. Um, it's a crypto okay. company called Polygon that's really been confusing me. Yes. It's like they're coming for all the Vox Media sites. If you're running a crypto coin, uh, just call it Eater. See what happens. New York Magazine, the coin. You can do it. Like, it's, it's available to you. Okay. Hey, what, what happens next here? Is, is there a next turn or is this thing done? I mean, OnlyFans has like very reasonably upset a bunch of people. And there is every reason to believe that some of those people will think I should diversify. I should move off this platform, this platform. There's nothing stopping it from just going back on its word again. Um, but then that's going to just be fighting with the fact that big platforms have a lot of inertia, that it's really hard to move off of something. If you are really any kind of creator, uh, let alone one that faces the added challenges that folks who do sex work do often. Um, and so there's one world where there are a bunch of other sites that have been kind of advertising off of OnlyFans decisions, and they've been saying they've seen a huge bump in signups, but it's obviously way too early to tell if those people stick around. And I feel like online it is very easy to bet on inertia in the current app economy, um, especially with users. But this was also a really huge sudden change that they announced, and they handled it not necessarily great, and they're it would be entirely justifiable if there were people who felt like they couldn't trust the platform anymore. A bunch of creators not able to trust the platform that they build their careers on. No matter where you look, that is the over overwhelming story of the, the passion economy. Okay. Last few policy bits uh, before we let you go. There's been some cybersecurity meeting at the white house. Dieter, what came out of this? Google promised to train a bunch of people and spend some money. Microsoft did. Apple said that it would like, Shore up the supply chain, which is... That's shocking to me. Yeah, I thought they had that handled, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, my initial... We were talking right before we started. My initial reaction was, oh, look, like a bunch of companies met with a president and then like something tangible is happening as a result. But you all uh, immediately told me I was wrong because like there's a bunch of promises happened. Um, but we don't know precisely like what's actually going to net out of all of this. Amazon's going to give us all two-factor authentication. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I'll take it. I just feel like that that cynicism is born deeply out of covering the Trump administration's tech policy efforts for years. Like, yeah, maybe they mean it. I don't know. <laughs> they told me they're going to build a fucking website. They never did that. Yeah. Remember when Microsoft was going to buy TikTok? That never happened. Like, I've I've heard a bunch of meetings, man. I don't care anymore. I mean, I guess I'm excited for, um, you know, CEOs to meet with the, you know, the administration and have it be really boring. Like, that's that's fun. That's, yeah. That's, that's nice. Let's have more of that. I like that I didn't pay any attention at all to the meeting, except for, like, I was like, oh, it's happening. And the last one, I remember, like, when everybody went to Trump and they went to the gold tower and we watched everybody come in. And this time I was just like, oh, yeah, it's happening. Okay, cool. And then they came out and they're like, oh, yeah, I thought Apple already did that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, so to be clear, the news you read on our site is they're all going to push towards multi-factor auth, two-factor auth, 
every AWS account holder is going to get a two-factor device, which, by the way, if you're like running your business on AWS and you haven't gotten yourself to two-factor yet, I don't know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, Google said it would spend $10 billion. Microsoft said it would spend $20 billion over five years to lock things down in the supply chain. Do you think any of Google's billions of dollars will be spent on making its Titan security keys actually available? They announced a new one that's the one I've been waiting for for five years that's USB-C and NFC. None of this janky Bluetooth stuff, no little lightning port, just NFC for stuff that won't take USB-C and USB-C for everything else, you know, the right good plug. They announced it and I was like, cool. And then it was sold out and they won't even let me line up. It's just not there. Just spend some money on making those available. If there's one thing President Biden cares about, it's the Titan security key. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, look, I, I need to be able to use both guys. Uh, I, I mean, if, if we, could, we could get him interested. Just, like, make it the, the ignition key for a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> that actually be great. Last two little bits. Facebook loves to form commissions to tell it what to do and then not listen to those commissions. So in addition to the oversight board, uh, they are now forming an election commission. At a, is there any, any color there or is this just more academics that are allowed to yell at Facebook on Facebook's time? I mean, Facebook will not confirm it, so who knows? But I think that, yes, the attitude to everything should be sort of caution and skepticism for Facebook. The main thing, it just it seems like it's a version of the oversight board that's just kind of going to start splitting into topics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've got like subreddits. Theoretically, the oversight board could cover election content. Uh, it's going to be especially weird if they end up just coming to opposite decisions. Well, the oversight board, if you're going to grant them the benefit of the doubt, the oversight board is like inherently reactionary. So like content goes on Facebook and then they take it down or leave it up. And then the oversight board says that was the right decision. Here's what your new rule should be. And then Facebook is like, well, they're partially reactionary. They're also like Facebook can just ask them for guidance on stuff that doesn't actually necessarily involve takedowns or leave ups at this point. It's just that Facebook doesn't have to actually follow their guidance if it's a suggestion. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what this thing is. I just love that Facebook keeps forming external committees to be like, what should we do? And then they reserve the right to not listen. It's very good. And then lastly, we've, we're tracking this pretty closely. We're already talking about crypto a bit. A lot of the big infrastructure bill is effectively paid for by various taxes on crypto. The crypto companies, that community, are very unhappy about this. They've been lobbying furiously. McKenna had a great piece about how this like lobbying activity just came together like out of the blue. Like It just like blinked into existence, and now it's like a furious and powerful lobby. However... Uh, the infrastructure bill passed the Senate with the crypto rules in it, passed a first vote in the House with the crypto rules in it. So as this thing marches towards being the law, we'll see if they actually knock out the rules that would impose some rules and regulation uh, on, on cryptocurrencies. I should be clear when I made the carrier pigeon joke. I do. I like I think we should take cryptocurrency seriously. And like these regulations, they're a really interesting development. Uh, I am just saying that at this moment, you cannot run a gigantic platform on cryptocurrency transactions. I don't need to run anything on cryptocurrency transactions. I'm much more cynical about it than everybody else. You can try to run a town, but it doesn't go well. 
we could solve the environmental problem. We could make the like the proof of work how quickly you can create a lobbyist. And it's just like <laughs> clearly they could do it so fast. There's like lobbyists with full sleeve tattoos and like, <laughs> like just giant crypto strings up and down their arms. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll take it. What I mean is that I think most people who are buying cryptocurrencies, they're buying it because they go up in value and that value is expressed in dollars. And that means like if you want to take it as payment, you have to convince people to like give you their appreciating asset in exchange for whatever you have, which will not appreciate as fast as a crypto in, in almost every case. So if you have a Bitcoin, spending that Bitcoin is a worse investment than just hanging on to it for a while. And I just I, I just don't know how they, anyone breaks that cycle. I've thought about this a lot. There's an entire decoder episode where I like, argue with with Bitcoin people about this, including one very curmudgeonly Bitcoin skeptic. It's just go listen to that. You'll all my thoughts are in there. But that's why I'm like, they can't just take it. Cause like, why would you trade in? That's why they all buy Lambos. The end. <laughs> <laughs> like, you need something that's at least as crazy as just having the Bitcoin. Okay. Addy, thank you so much. We're gonna take a break. We'll come back. We got a lot of Apple stuff to talk about. Thanks, Addy. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're back. A lot of like little Apple news. Lots of little rumor. It's like we're getting close to iPhone season. Yeah. It's like lots of dribs and drabs. I mean, we're theoretically less than a month away. Yeah. I feel like we're less than a couple of weeks away. I feel like it's tomorrow. It's yeah. Oh my god! Surprise! <laughs> it's it's right now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Apple Park. But and just uh, contextually, some big news. Uh, this week marks ten years of Tim Cook as CEO of Apple. He had some runs as interim CEO, right? But ten years ago, this week, Steve Jobs officially stepped down, handed over the title of full CEO to Tim Cook, and then six weeks later, obviously Steve Jobs died. Very sad. He was too young, but. This is a decade of Tim Cook. So Sean also wrote a great piece just looking over the course of that. One thing we noticed in that piece, which I think is really interesting, we kind of don't 
know anything about Tim Cook's personality. Yeah. Like, I feel like I know a lot about Steve Jobs' personality. Yeah. Like, there's books. There's the fact that he was just like the least guarded personality <laughs> in history. Like, But like, you know, how much do you know about any tech CEO's personality outside of the, you know, the thing that's been crafted for you? He's just not interested in sharing his personality. I don't think he owes that to us at all. I don't think he owes that to us at all. I mean, and I think this is true of, uh, to a certain extent, the, the entire new class of non-founder CEOs. Mm -hmm. uh, Sasha Nadella, Sundar Pichai, Tim Cook. They're not the founders of the companies. The companies are not imbued with their personalities. They are all ciphers. They are all media trained to the hilt. Yeah. Right. It's like very hard to break through. But I think t Cook is still, it's just like when we were doing this piece, it just occurred to me that there are not that many stories about Tim Cook the way there are endless stories about Steve Jobs as a person. Yeah. You know how the, uh, this, I would express this is, I don't know what Tim Cook deeply cares about beyond, I, I suppose, privacy and health and how it's expressed in some of their products. But, you know, we were, you know, looking through, like, what is his, does, does he have a dent in the universe breakthrough product? And the answer is no. He has a, a dent in the universe that was caused by the amount of cash on hand that Apple has. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that, that has a gravitational pull. Light bends around Apple's right. cash. Yeah. <laughs> You know, by by any reasonable metric, he is an unbelievably successful CEO already and has been for a while. But we tend to have a different metric of measurement for success at Apple, and that is what what products have been like, oh, my God, this changes things for me. Yeah. And the, 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 the reason I started with it's 10 years of Tim Cook, really the only way to tell that story is by talking about Apple's products and its financial performance. There is not some other through line that, like there's stuff we cut out. Like he turned over a bunch of executives. Johnny Ive doesn't work at Apple anymore. He brought in Angela Ahrens to be what everyone assumed was his successor. And she left like that didn't work. Like mm -hmm. they're all just kind of like side notes to also they continued making the iPhone. <laughs> like <laughs> the iPhone is a massively successful product and the whole world organized itself around it. So that's yeah. just like the context here. And how much of like though is us not knowing about him also because He's been the CEO the entire time and very successful the entire time, whereas Steve, like, left for a while. So everybody trash-talked him because he was running, like, his his other sites, starting Pixar and all this stuff. And so they're like, oh, whatever, that guy. So we can, like, talk about all the terrible things he did or the not terrible things he did. And then he came back into power and it kind of tightened up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Like, there's that long journey of Steve going, like, leaving and coming back and starting his thing. And he worked with all these People like there are books about his involvement in Pixar and like, yeah, like, yes, he did all the things. All I meant is there's this video of Steve Jobs that I think about all the time where he describes like why Apple failed the first time. And he's like, we hired a bunch of managers and they're all bozos. And then the bozos <laughs> hired more bozos and we had a bozo explosion. And like that is just unguarded. Like you cannot mm -hmm. imagine Tim Cook being like, so the problem is there's a bozo explosion. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, uh, you know, I like a total fanboy early, early on, I would watch jobs on stage with Walton Kara at the conference. Like I was invited. Yeah. I was a young journalist. I was like wild to be in those, in those spaces. And like, he was like utterly relaxed. He's like, here's, he kept calling, he kept calling cable companies orifices. Yep. Right. Like yep. it's just like, and the company is smaller and the stakes were lower. Like fundamentally he's like selling iPods and now Apple's like, there's a child porn economy that goes through our devices. Like the stakes are very different, right? Yeah. So like all that's different, but it was just striking to me as we did the story. There's only one way to do it. There's not another approach of what 
10 years of Tim Cook looks like at Apple because no one knows. It's telling that we're, we're, we're trying to talk about Tim Cook. We inevitably keep talking about Steve Jobs. I, w- I was watching one of those uh, early. It was I think it might have been All Things D. Maybe it was Code. It was Steve Jobs demoing podcasts in iTunes for the first time and explaining what a podcast is, which is amazing. <laughs> and just But just like a, a very casual explaining of a product and then doing a product demo, not on the, their own stage that they own, not surrounded, not mm-hmm. made into an infomercial for the pandemic, just the CEO talking about a product, you know, on somebody else's stage for the first time. I don't know. I, it, it was remarkable. Uh, and just how far we've come from having that be a normal occurrence. Tim Cook or any actually tech CEO being that unguarded and like handing over, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of control of their product unveil to some other thing. Just I don't I don't see it happening. Like it barely happens at CES anymore. And even there, can companies control everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a very different environment. And doing this story kind of made me realize how different. And you are right. It's telling we're talking about jobs like even a full decade later with unimaginable success. What is what do we think of as this company? We think of the iPhone keynote. And that is just not the case anymore. Like they are not doing that at that scale anymore. They've had two products that are important, category defining, culture defining, and they are fundamentally accessories of the iPhone, right? It's the Apple Watch and AirPods. And they are you can talk about both of those things in all kinds of ways, but they are fundamentally accessories to the iPhone. And they haven't had the next thing. And sure, you can talk about Apple's ecosystem and how it all plays together, but they haven't built the next paradigm of computing, really. And I think that's whenever this era ends, like that will be the knock on the Cook era, I think. Unless the next thing is success, right? Maybe the AR glasses will do it. I mean, AR is like the next paradigm of computing. Or, or maybe like they'll, they'll figure out something like a little bit more with the Apple Watch and health that will like actually feel like an inflection point. Yeah, I mean, we don't need, we, we should talk about the actual like rumors, but like <laughs> go read this piece. Just like keep that in the, the back of your mind. Like Sean did a great job, but keep that in the back of your, your mind. Like AR might be the next paradigm, but Apple spent the first year or so after Jobs died, like Tim Cook would like walk around and be like, we're going to do the TV thing. We, we're like, we're in it. Because yeah. Jobs had said we cracked it. And like, they did not do that. Jo- uh, Cook has said many times, Apple's greatest contribution to society will be in the health. That timeline is ongoing, but like right, right now, it's kind of not. You know, like right now, Apple's greatest contribution to society is they're going to stream Donda from Soldier Field on Apple Music. Just <laughs> <laughs> fast. <laughs> There's just like a lot of stuff. Like AR, he talks about AR a lot, right? It's all gimmicks on the iPhone. And maybe that's all just laying the foundation. But I do. It's like interesting to see what the company looks like. It's they're getting more money out of the iPhone more than anything else. So speaking of the iPhone, we're expecting one. They, they, they will. They will make another iPhone this year. Although I mean, that wasn't necessarily a sure thing given the chip shortage. But there's rumors it'll be called the iPhone 13. We've seen rumors that the notch will be smaller. I don't know. It'll be an. It'll be an iPhone. Like it's actually kind of surprising how sort of little hype there is around it this year. We think it'll be a little bit more expensive because of the chip shortage. Maybe it'll come a little bit later. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's weird, right? Like a new iPhone, we should have a little bit more to say. And it seems like the rumors are kind of pointing at a uh, sort of a shruggy year for it. This is kind of like a talk year too for them, right? Like if you do the TikTok yeah. CPU kind of thing where last year they had a big redesign and then this year is just like, Perfecting that, tweaking it so it's really, really good. I think they're over the S cadence. 
I mean, they have to be because nobody's buying phones on that cadence anymore. Yeah, right. like, I, I just don't think it matters to them. And they, you know, this year they sold so many phones, right? So like, one of the weird things about Apple is like, you know, if they sell all the phones now, like you, that's you just subtract that many people from the total number of people in the world, and that is your remaining market for phone sales because everybody has a phone. So like, they know, like they, they do, they they've done all the sales now. There's only so many people left to convert into. Right thousand dollar premium iphone owners which i you know that forecasting is very who's who's the best at forecasting tim cook like they're good <laughs> at it yeah but what we're hearing what smaller notch slightly better camera maybe some sort of better way to deal with your mask but it still doesn't look like we're gonna get an under display fingerprint sensor yeah uh hdr and video potentially yep no folding no folding no sorry not this year but, there's a lot of other stuff besides the iPhone that feels like it's stacking up. Like I, I don't know how many events Apple's going to do, but we've got new AirPods uh, waiting for MacBook Pros desperately. Uh, there's Please. apparently an M1X chip for the Mac Mini Apple Watches. There's like a looks like there's a new design for the Apple Watch finally. There's an iPad Mini floating around somewhere. There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, like I'm kind of excited about everything. I've seen so 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 much about the watch, and and how they're kind of making it flatter and taking that kind of curve we're used to possibly mm -hmm. away. And I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about that. Like, is it going to make the little green light that checks my blood brighter or, or less it's bright? It's so time for them to change the fundamental design of the watch. Yeah. yeah. Right. But th this is the same thing. Like the total number of people who can buy a, an Apple watch are the total number of iPhone owners. <laughs> right. It's yeah. just, it's just a fact. Like that's the only, if you don't have an Apple, if you don't have a, an iPhone, buying an Apple watch is one of the silliest decisions you can make. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. It's like, you're just Lagerfelding it all day. <laughs> Alex, do you know, do you know about Lagerfelding? <laughs> I don't know if I do. So this is just the dumbest virtual inside joke. So when the Apple watch first came out, they gave it to all these celebrities. They gave the edition. Yeah. And there's this photo of Carl Lagerfeld. And he's wearing, he's so happy, and it's on the setup screen. Like, it's the blue <laughs> dot swirling. And I'm like, that dude never, he's never going to set up this watch. Like, especially the first one took so long. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like, that yeah. dude is going to wear this thing. He's just Lagerfeld in that watch. And then we kept seeing other pictures of celebrities wearing watches that hadn't been set up. Just that little green, the little blue. They're just Lagerfeld in. It's very set pretty. it up for him. Just zoom yeah. in. <laughs> Just pair this thing, like, go to the, your local private airfield and wait for Carl Lagerfeld to arrive. <laughs> Paris Apple Watch. Anyhow, so you just know, like, the math is there, right? Like, total number of iPhone owners, total number of people who have bought the last X generations of this watch. Mm -hmm. What do we absolutely know? Making it look different prompts an upgrade cycle. So like, yep. you just yeah. like, think about that. Like, it's way beyond time for them to make it look different. And it's like... A really well sold watch. Like it does better than I think Fitbit, Samsung, everybody else combined. It's selling all of the watches. And yeah. I, I personally, I'm on like a four and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to upgrade. Yeah. So you bought it with the bigger screen. Right? Yeah. It was the four, the bigger screen. That was the thing that made me buy a new one. What was the battery life for me? It was like, okay, it's going to last a little longer. Yeah. It's going to be nice. I, I hate that I have to go to 40 millimeter from 38 because I have tiny, tiny hands and I don't need like a giant watch reminding everyone mm -hmm. but so i'm a little terrified some of the rumors we've heard this time is they might go up in size again and i'm like please don't 
I think the screens will go up in size, but the bezels might get smaller. I don't think they're going to make the cases significantly bigger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's one of the nice things about the Apple Watch is there's actually a relatively small one. Like, you look at the, the new, even the new the new 40-millimeter uh, Samsung Galaxy Watch 4. You're making a statement when you wear that. Well, the big one is huge, the 44 yeah. Classic, but, like, the small regular is still, like, it's about the same size as a big Apple Watch, and, like, in terms of, like, volume and, like, feel on your wrist. I mean, I normally, like, when I wear it, a, a, a dumb watch. I'm usually like in the, the mid 30 millimeter range. So these going like this creep has me going into these much more like statement watch territories, which I think is part of the point of it, right? Like Apple's always wanted to make this like a statement piece, like kind of, and I, I, like, I think this, this whole design thing is going to be really interesting for them because this is their other, their next foray, foray into like fashion and thinking about the fashion element of it. So are they going to do it well? Uh, but it looks kind of cool. I think they're going to do just fine. Yeah, they'll yeah. do fine. But like, like, will it have the same impact as as that original watch? Uh, but I would connect that that idea exactly to what we were talking about before with with Tim Cook. Like, the iPhone four had as much or more impact than the first iPhone. The iPhone six had that impact, right? Because these are like industry defining devices right the new apple watch were like yeah they like created a, a category of one that google and samsung are like screw it we got a vulture on this thing to even get in the game right like they are the winners but that the winning has not done much it's increased prices <laughs> yeah it's increased prices it's like everything's everything's gotten more expensive if you want to wear it on your wrist and that's about it but I don't know. I, I mean, it's a great product. I, I don't mean to denigrate it. It's just funny that we're talking about a new Apple Watch and like what it could do. And we're, we're definitely focused on what it looks like yeah. because I think the capabilities of the watch are like fully explored. Well, the, the big thing is like being able to test blood sugar. Like, yeah, that's the big thing. Can we use sweat? Can mm -hmm. we use body fluids to to figure this out? And I don't know if the science is caught up to the desire to do that. Apple is like super invested in it, right? We, we've heard a lot of rumors that they want this. They desperately want to do it because yeah. that's like, boom, that's a game changer. You go from being like, we're kind of a health device, which is like they say it all the time. They're like, we're health. And they kind of are. And that takes it to, no, you're a health device. Like I can find out if I'm pre-diabetic with one of these. Like that's a huge deal, especially with, you know, diabetes in this country. So like massive, massive thing, but... It's the science is still lingering. Yeah. We should also talk about software a little bit. iOS 15 and iPadOS 15, all that stuff is coming. Um, they f uh, appear to have fully backtracked on Safari tabs. Like, <laughs> yes. They, they, they're letting us make them normal on all the devices. Hooray. Uh, so I'm glad about that. And then they their custom email domain features in beta, but it looks like the private cloud relay, which is their not a VPN, but kind of a sort of works like a VPN, but not really thing. <laughs> Apple has so many features that are not quite the thing that they look like. Yeah. Like the photo scanning thing. They're like, it's not photo scanning. It just leads the exact same result as photo scanning. And then their iCloud private relay, they're like, it's not a VPN, but it leads to the exact same result as a VPN. <laughs> You think they're just bored? It's <laughs> like, ah, it's too simple. Let's make it harder. But uh, apparently, that's not going to launch with. It's going to like continue to be a beta for a while. So I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm excited to have Safari tabs back to normal. Is like for me the main thing. Yeah, I was excited about the stupid bottom of the 
the screen Safari tabs. I don't know if I was going to use them because yeah. I, I refuse to put it on my phone right now. I've got it on like another phone that I shattered yeah. and I'll mess with it sometimes, but I don't know. I might, I might tweet like, cause you can do both now, right? Like that's the idea with, with 15, if with these fixes they put in place that you'll be able mm-hmm. to choose. Yep. So that's fine. Yeah. It's a real Samsung move to like give, give more settings in there. More options. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Just, just putting that out there. I guess the last Apple thing I wanted to talk about briefly, this happened just today, uh, is that Apple treats all developers the same unless you happen to know about their secret video program that lets you only get a 15% cut or if you apply to their small business program uh, and therefore you can not have a bigger cut. Or now if you are a news publisher and you're willing to play ball and reformat your articles for Apple News and participate in the Apple News ecosystem – then your app can also only have a 15% cut. Sounds like doing my taxes. Yeah. I mean, the list of requirements for the Apple News. We need to disclose that the Verge publishes to Apple News, and so Correct. does the rest of Vox Media, but we don't, we're not in the programs. Like, you can't subscribe to the Verge at all. If you can find a way to pay us in Apple News, I will happily pay the 30% cut to Apple. Like, <laughs> that's free money. Like, go figure that out. That's great. But yes, our company is in Apple News. But it's interesting, right? Apple News does not appear to be a success. Right. They, what they yeah. wanted was like. Well, Apple News Plus, right? Like the subscription side of it. Yeah. But like they're not running the free service because they think it's fun. You know, like yeah. they're trying to get you to they, plus they want your money, which is the very reductive Netflix for magazine. Right. Like right. that's what they want it to be. You pay Apple a subscription. You get access to all this stuff. Everybody's reformating their articles for Apple News, which, by the way, if you're like a web publisher, like we are, the fact that you have to publish to the web, Apple News, and AMP is fully ridiculous, and I want them all to die with fire. For a brief period, we also had it published separately to a Facebook f- special format. Uh, that went away. Disclosure, my wife works for Oculus, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the publishing of multiple formats, not, uh, not fun. Yeah. Like, what if you want to make it cool interactive? Guess what happens? Uh, someone whispers the word AMP at your creative director, and he just stares out the window crying. <laughs> That's not that's not an experience I've had ever. Anyhow, but what's interesting here is like we don't perceive Apple News Plus to be a success, right? It's not driving yeah. massive revenue to publishers that we've heard about. Apple doesn't break out its services revenue in any any detail that would allow us to evaluate it. Nobody is pivoting to Apple News Plus. Yeah, right. Like people, that's <laughs> gonna be horrible. Could you imagine? So publishers, in fact, are leaving the platform over time. Like we've heard about other big publishers leaving this platform. It's not worth it to publish in multiple formats. They're not seeing the return, especially when there's a 30% cut on every subscriber. So, right. Like one of the things here is like Apple sees that they're lowering the cut to try to get people to participate, to grow this business. Gosh, that feels like competition, right? That feels like a market that is operating in some rational way as -hmm. opposed to everything else where they're like, well, there's no other way. Like, if you're a publisher, if you're New York Times, uh, Condé Nast, whatever it is, you're like, well, people can just sign up on our website. We've got an app. And you can just pay for it there. That's fine. Why do we have to go through your system and pay you a cut? Well, app developers don't have that out. And I, I think that's actually like Apple's like learning that lesson in different ways. And this is like a pretty good example of it. Uh, speaking of this, <laughs> two little bits of App Store policy news. One, there was a great Politico piece by Emily Birnbaum this week. She like dove deep into how Apple's lobbyists have descended on Georgia, the state of Georgia. Yeah. There was an App Store bill there. They like immediately hired five lobbyists, and they the lobbyists they don't work for Apple. There's a lot of there's a lot of cover in your butt along the chain here. But the lobbyists basically said Apple's going to spend all this money in Georgia, including funding for historically 
black colleges and universities uh, for software development, they will take it back if you pass this bill allowing oh payment providers in the App Store. That's gross. That's just gross. That's not good. And then there's another bill in South Korea that would do the same thing. Apple and Google are furiously lobbying in South Korea to the point where they've asked the Biden administration to intervene, which is mm-hmm. hilarious because the Biden administration <laughs> is like, here, like, break them up. Like, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but that vote has been delayed in the South Korean parliament. So we'll find out what happens there. But it's ha- it's happening all over the world. Yeah. By the way, you know who uh, is very um, powerful in South Korea? Oh, uh, who? Samsung. Samsung. Mm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He's a guy. <laughs> no, but obviously it's like what, you know one of the dynamics here is that Samsung is very powerful in South Korea, and so if they can find ways to break the App Store restrictions from Apple and Google, they, there's like a benefit they have. Yeah, they would love that. They yeah, would make be, so much more money. So we'll see. All this stuff is just like in process. It's like, to be clear, one of the best compliments you can pay to Tim Cook about the Tim Cook era is that Apple has gotten so big and they are involved in so many very complex policy fights and everyone is still laser focused on the products. Yeah. Right. Like to to the customers, the company, the executives are still like, are the products good? And I, that, I, I think that is a, a fair compliment to pay to Cook, even if some of the policy stuff is uh, frankly outrageous. He's just really good at business. He just, <laughs> he's just, yeah, you know, like the boring stuff, the boring parts of business that I don't ever care about. He's like nailed it. He's just perfected it. And he's like, and I can keep it. I can keep coming, bringing a phone out. That's just good enough. You're going to love it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I am. Thanks. I was going to say, get that man a, a, a celebratory briefcase because he's so good at business. But I'm pretty sure he's getting a celebratory uh, selling of billions of dollars in stock. Yeah, <laughs> so he's, he's, gonna be, he's, gonna he's got a super yacht. Uh, it's funny because I just watched the Lego movie with Max. It's like he's president of business. That's who he is. <laughs> 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 All right. We're gonna t- on that extremely strange note, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. There's a bunch of other stuff to talk about. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Dieter, this segment is, you've labeled it MISC. MISC. It, it really, it's a wild ride. Why don't, you, why don't you take us on it? I mean, the most important gadget I think to talk about is um, you discovered a, a USB-powered multimeter, and I would like you to discuss this smartphone-looking thing that measures voltage and uh, perhaps resistance. Okay, I've moved on from Instagram impulse purchases. Okay. Instagram's dead to me now. Yeah. TikTok is my new best friend. <laughs> and the number of dumb gadgets that are shown to me on TikTok, like it is an excellent marketing platform for dumb gadgets. 
Yeah, especially dumb gadgets that are of questionable legality in the United States. Uh huh. So, uh, our friend and co-founder Joanna Stern and I both have toddlers. We are both gadget reviewers, and our toddlers like bubble machines. So we spend an inordinate amount of time buying and then reviewing for one another bubble machines. Okay. This is just a real thing that happens <laughs> in the background of my life all the time. And so TikTok, by whatever algorithm showed me, I have a bubble gun that is outrageous. And it, it came from China. Uh-huh. Like it is not. I don't think it was like licensed or vetted by any authority <laughs> in the United States. It is uh, kind of just a giant computer fan and a thing that looks like a bazooka. And I bought one for me and I bought one for Joanna. And that like opened the door to TikTok knowing it could sell me things. Yeah. So now the product flood is is fully underway. So this one is, it's so dumb. It looks exactly like a smartphone. It has a curved glass screen. Mm-hmm. And it's a multimeter. And I have, a, I have a nice one, but this one looks like a smartphone. It looks cool. And it has a lithium-ion battery. It charges over USB-C. And I bought it just so I could take a picture of it and send it to Haim. And he <laughs> immediately bought one. <laughs> and he slacked me and he was like, I've been needing a new multimeter. And then like 30 seconds later, he's like, that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> but, but it appears to work. It hasn't blown anything up yet. I don't know. I've, I've measured the current coming out of many coin cell batteries. Yeah. My takeaway here is you pronounce it multimeter. And I've only ever heard it multimeter in my life. And I don't want to know if everybody that I've talked to is wrong or if you're wrong. I'm almost certainly wrong. This is a word that I've only seen on a screen or in packaging. I'm not like running out. I'm not like at the bar being like, Got any multimeter news? Like, it's fair, fair enough. I mean, that's what I do. I, maybe that explains why the bartender never pays attention to me. Dude, I was a political science major. I'm sure, like the like the engineering students are all like, dude, multimeter stuff. Speaking of dumb gadgets that don't have much use, but Neli is weirdly obsessed with. Can we please talk about the Donda Stem player? I would love to talk about the Donda Stem player. So, first of all, there are Vergecast fans who are working on this product. Okay, I know it. Tell your bosses to send me one. By specifically, I mean Kanye West. <laughs> so this thing has been leaking in various forms all over the place. Um, so Kanye West, with the release of his new album, Donda, which, by the way, has been just like a multimedia experience. For a while, he, he took over the stadium that the, the Falcons play in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was just live streaming himself in what looked like a jail cell, like finishing this album. <laughs> Just like hanging out in it. It was like sleeping on the floor. It was super weird. So the whole thing is really stunty. But what this thing that we've seen that you can buy, and I've obviously ordered one already. It's $200. It's an MP3 player. It's beige, like flesh tone beige. Yeah. It looks really weird. And it's got a circle, like a circle in the middle, touch controls, a circle in the middle, and then a cross. So the whole thing's a circle. And basically, Donda, the album, we loaded onto it in the form of stems. So just the individual tracks that make up every song. And then you can like turn them on and off like a mixer. And then it's got effects. It's basically like a little DJ controller. It looks really cool. I also think that making people mix your music for them, like it's like Blue Apron. Like I can't stop thinking of this is like the Blue Apron of music. Like he's not going to ship you an album. He's going to sh- ship you like a little canister of garlic. Like that's what he's doing with this. Uh, it's really neat. At, uh, and it's being made by this company called Kano, which... Kano makes like build your own PCs. We've, we've covered them a lot actually. So they, they make yeah. these modular kits where kids can learn how to build PCs and do hardware engineering. Uh, they, some of them run windows and uh, the story as far as we know is that Kanye was walking around CS a couple years ago and he came upon the Kano booth and the CEO was there 
and the, the Kano Windows tablet is clear, right? Because they want kids right. to put it together and put it in the yeah. case. And Kanye was like, I like that dope clear tablet. And then they got to talking and they realized like they both love Jesus. And so the Kano CEO and Kanye have been partnered ever since. And so that's, that's the Donda STEM players coming out because he has a hardware partnership with like a real company that makes real hardware. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very yeah. excited about this whole thing. We'll see. Okay. It, it looks ridiculous. It's wonderful. It has a headphone jack. That's the real reason. <laughs> it has a headphone jack. <laughs> uh, there are some, we've, if you look at our posts, there's some videos and leaks and like tests. Like yeah. people have had them. It just seems really fun. Alex, can you talk about this uh, new AR lens and Snapchat that Alex Heath got a little exclusive on? Um, I guess we should also talk about Facebook's glasses too. Yeah, I'm, you know, Alex Heath just got a really cool look at the new Snapchat. Is it called Snaps? I think it's 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 a program they've had around forever that lets you use the Snapchat camera to actually scan other stuff. Right. And now it's just it, they're they're kind of making it more forefront. I think this is like kind of their push as they go towards AR and glasses and everything like that. Like everybody wants to have this, uh, you know, the perfect scan app. It didn't really work with dogs. He he kind of struggled yeah. with that. It didn't really work with clothes, but it worked really well with plants. And it's really dependent on the different de- databases that it ties into. And it ties into some ones like the one that Google has used for years with a very similar product. Is it Google Lens, I think, yeah. was like the product that's been around for ages. And so, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think it feels more like Snapchat continuing to plant that flag in the AR world yeah. than like something people are actually going to run out and be using. What's interesting to me about it is, um, you know, Google Lens has been around for a while. Bixby has done this for a while <laughs> in Samsung phones, just saying. Um, but the idea that you point your camera at something and you, like, get information or you do something with the fact that this camera recognizes a thing has been a dream forever. But Snapchat is the app that has, like, the best claim to the app that you do something with with the camera that's, you know, more than just take yeah. a picture and put it somewhere. You do stuff with, the you know, all the filters and everything else. And so – they to me it seems like this is they've got the best shot at having AR where you actually like do engage with the thing that gets scanned in some way or do something with it or whatever uh, compared to anybody else. Like I am not opening up my um, iPhone camera or my you know Android camera to do something. I'm opening up to take a picture, right? Yeah. And uh, you open up Snapchat to like talk to your friends and do stuff, and so it's more interesting there than it is anywhere else. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, it's and it, it looks like it's actually fr- from from what he's done with it seems smart. Like mm-hmm. it seems close as close as we've gotten yet to this ability to just like look at stuff and then know what it is. But yeah, I, I think it's still just more like waiting for for something else and not your actual phone. Like I know right. they're trying to make it like what you said, the phone doing this stuff, using the camera to do this thing. But it feels more to me like, nope, this is so you can tie it into your phone later or your your smart glasses later. Right. right. And they are working on those. Yeah. Yeah. That's something they're very focused on. And they're not the only ones. Facebook is also working on AR glasses. Apple probably is. Everybody is. And and yeah, we're finally we're finally getting a look at them. And I think Protocol was the first one that found the the FCC filing for these guys, these new glasses. So you can go and we've got it also on the verge. You can read it with us if you don't want to go to protocol. 
Do both. What's great about these companies entering hardware is they're starting to make the mistakes that like old hardware companies like learned. Music did this. Is no, it's just like funny. Like I like scouring FCC docs for hardware leaks uh, is like I was doing that stuff in two thousand nine. Yeah, but like Motorola learned not to do it, and now Facebook is doing it because they just don't know not to do it. Because <laughs> they've never built a phone. Yeah, like, exactly. It's just fun. they're just like, yeah, we'll put it out there, and and you know these are really big, really really chunky glasses. I'm really curious to see what they look like in real life. I'm just not sold on them yet. I don't know about you guys. Like, what's your take on AR glasses in general? Because for me, it's like. I think AR glasses, nobody's going to adopt them until you don't look like a dillweed when you put them on. Well, so there, there's there's two parts. I think that the Snapchat piece, like you can read it as they added some cool new features to their app and they've got these partnerships and they're building an ecosystem. The other thing that they need to do is they just need to quickly recognize things in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. there's a data collection and processing component to building AR glasses that you can start to do with an app on a phone. And why does Apple build all their hardware? Because they're leading up to it. But So it's smart for Snapchat to do it and build an ecosystem. Facebook has to do it, Google, whoever wants to build AR glasses, like the first thing you have to do is identify what is in reality so that you might further augment it. Yeah. Right, and it's just that's a very hard computing problem. Then you've got to like put stuff on top of reality in real time and track it and make it look good. And I have not heard a whisper about the actual display technologies here. Yeah. Right. So this thing might be big and clunky. It might have a big battery or, you know, whatever Qualcomm processor it appears to have, like fine, but what is it going to look like? And even with HoloLens, with Magic Leap, we were promised like pretty gigantic display technology, like Magic Leap. <laughs> Magic Leap made a big, they made a big claim because they're like, we're going to beam it right into your eyeball it's like it's there and it's a postage stamp. Addy thinks I'm too mean to magically. <laughs> but like they first started, it was uh, hacking the GPU of the brain was yeah. the quote that they used, which was incredible. Like just an incredible thing to say and all of us should say it more often because in many like optical illusions hack the GPU of your brain. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know why we don't use this phrase more often all the time. That's how, I mean, that's how they secured Beyonce for, <laughs> I'm going to hack it. But like the point of that, all that hype and it all came to nothing was that they had invented a new display technology that looked super real. Right. And it wasn't based on putting an LCD in front of your face. Right. And we, I think we're still kind of in the HoloLens is an LCD in front of your face. Like we are still kind of an LCD in front of your face all the time. And it, I don't think any of this stuff is going to work unless there's that display technology innovation. And so, like, I look at these glasses, I look at all the other stuff we've seen. Yeah, it's still kind of like LCDs in front of your face. That's why I, I tend to not believe any of the Apple glasses are right around the corner things, because we haven't actually seen, like, in the science, the technology leaps we need to make, like, this stuff appear in your face, right? And Apple's not going to do it until it works, because... Like, well, we've heard about their headset that's going to have inside out tracking and pass through. We've heard about it, but like we haven't seen like for me, that's the two fundamental things of you can't look like a dillweed and it has to actually be like good. It can't just feel like, you know, the, the really cool, admittedly Disney AR headset where you can play like Star Wars that costs four dollars. I think they're looking like a dillweed. Let's call <laughs> this the, the Vergecast dillweed ratio. <laughs> so like on one side of the ledger is like how much you look like a dillweed. <laughs> it's very strange. Okay, that's one side of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you you balance it out with how much functionality you get. Right. And our right. expectations. The, and the reason this comes to mind is I wrote a story once where I went to the Indy 500 wearing Google Glass. It was just a strange opportunity I had. And I was like, I'm aware of Google Glass. And so I, I'm wandering around the infield of the Indy 500. And the number of people who just like jumped out of corners, right? Like race cars are like <laughs> coming to a halt and the drivers are coming to talk to me. And the only thing they said was, can you see through clothes with that thing? Yeah. <laughs> it was like this universal reaction. Like yeah. NFL players I met were like, can you see naked people? Like, yeah. Because if you look that stupid, the expectation is that you're getting that much value. Right. Right. The dillweed ratio was negative yeah. for Google Glass at all times. Just absolutely. But where the dillweed ratio is very positive for AirPods. Yeah. Where right. just abstractly, you, 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 you don't look good. <laughs> like they look very stupid. Now, is this a straight ratio or do, do we need to have like, like sizes of the numbers? Cause like uh, a, a relatively like a one-to-one dillweed ratio were the uh, Intel Vaunt glasses that <laughs> I tried before they canceled. <laughs> right. They looked fine. They looked so normal um, that like, there are just like random glasses shops all around the world that are using this picture that was taken of me wearing the glasses because there's like a little <laughs> laser that shines in your eye. Like all I get pick I get I get emails like once a month. Like I'm I'm in India and I'm looking at you. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> like, okay. Yep. That's right. Uh because it showed up for some, you know, Google search. Anyway, but the functionality of you know the little laser beam that shines into your retina, it was just like a monochrome, like, you know, I don't it was like 200, 300 by 400 display, something very, very small. And it, you know, it didn't actually overlay anything. So like the dillweed to functionality ratio, both were very, like, you know, low. I looked relatively normal, I but I got ratio. relatively little functionality of it. But there seems to be no interest in that. No one no one is trying to do that, really. Like, everyone's trying to do the thing that has high functionality, and then can you actually get a low dillweed value with high functionality? And I don't know that you can. So it's like with smartphones. We had, like, we had crappy smartphones before the iPhone, and then, like, they had the iPhone. Where everyone's trying to just make the iPhone. It's an equality. Yeah. The Vergecast uh-huh. dillweed equality. There we go. <laughs> right? <laughs> one to one. You need the functionality to far outweigh the delete number. I think the HoloLens almost does that. Like in a professional setting. I will in never a wear that. Professional I will setting. never walk outside of it. But like if you're going with like professional versus private life dill read quality. Yeah. It's got nothing. But there, there's like a uh, there's a uh, like a professional factor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So your, your dillweed number is lowered. Yeah, it, it lowers when you're like in a professional setting because everybody's doing it. We could apply this to other wearables. Like, let's, <laughs> uh, what about the like the the cargo vests that so you can like store laptops and crap in, like the Scott E vests, you know? Tactical cargo vests. The tactical vests. And so if you're a, if you're a professional photographer, yes, you look cool, right? You're yeah. getting all yeah. the functionality, but you're at work. You're a professional. Right. It's a professional factor, like evens out the ratio. As soon as you leave the football stadium, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're walking around. Yep, and you're like, I'm carrying all my lenses with me. You try to go to Waterburger after the game, it, like it shoots right. No, up. you just you just never put the camera down, and if someone tries to make fun of your jacket, you just yell, "I'm working here." And I think you're cool. <laughs> it immediately equalizes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm just saying this. There's there's something here, and I the the thing for me is the the products can look really objectively dumb. I think AirPods yeah. are like actually a good example of this. Yeah, because we all made fun of Bluetooth headsets for yep. years, and now we all. We are wearing Bluetooth headsets all day long. 
Yeah. They did it because they delivered the value. They also, I mean, they look better than your average Bluetooth headset. But I think AirPods are like the one example where the val- the utility was so high that it overcame the Dillweed factor. Yeah. Okay. Right. No AR glasses are even close to delivering no, enough utility for, for whatever they look like. Like, they're all just like, this is an experiment. And if they don't start to look like regular glasses soon, the the fact that like Google Glass poisoned this well (laughs) is will just like be very difficult to overcome. I feel like it's this is a real downer because I desperately want AR glasses. I want to be able to wear them and go to an event and not have to remember anybody's names and just have the glasses tell me. But that's also like privacy nightmare. Yeah. I mean, what you are describing is the greatest worldwide facial recognition system ever to exist. Yeah, like horrifying. Don't want it, but also really want it because I hate having to remember everybody's name. Oh, if I could remember anyone's name, I'd be the greatest politician in the history of the world. It'd be incredible. That's just what I know about myself. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, instead, I'll just be like, I'm going to introduce you to someone else and hope you say your name. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. That's my strategy. It works. You know, you just, you're like, oh yeah, you, I like, there are people who's, who I don't, I haven't said their name in years. Oh my God. It's so good to see you. Have you met this other person? I know that I'm hoping you don't know. (laughs) Everyone knows what you're doing. You're just quietly sipping your drink in the little plastic cup while staring and hoping a name is said. Well, no, the the good news is in the modern environment, everyone has their name on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I don't need any of this. Okay. Dieter, what else is in this crap bag? (laughs) (laughs) There's a new Fitbit. It looks nice. There's, there, Google owns them. They're still doing Fitbit things. The end. I don't know. It looks nice. It's a nice look. It's more expensive, though. Can we talk about the fact that uh, there's finally someone who's in charge of Windows on Microsoft's like senior leadership team? Panos Penny just got named to that, you know, that you know, august group. And uh, that hasn't there hasn't been a person in charge of Windows in that room for a minute. That's very weird. Yeah, but he's also in charge of their devices, right? He runs all Surface. It's interesting. It's like, what is that signal? Like, obviously, Nadella was just on Decoder. He, They made a big deal out of Windows this last time. Mm-hmm. I think they went through a moment, much like Apple went through with the Mac, where they're like, this isn't important anymore. And then they realized, like, oh, it's you can't make stuff for any of our other stuff unless this is good. Yeah. Right. Right? Like, Windows has to be good so people can write Azure apps or whatever. Like, so I think there's a recommitment there. And I think that... Very opportunistically with the Apple, Google, App Store stuff, like Microsoft is like, oh, our operating system is relevant again. So I, I think all that's good. I just, you can, you can like overread org chart moves sometimes, I think. And Panos has been there a long time. He is one of the faces of the company. Yep. He is a very good executive. It, it just kind of makes sense. Do we need to talk about the, the Tesla bot? <sighs> yes. <laughs> oh, wait, what were you going to go to? I was going to say that the, that the new uh, Halo-themed Xbox looks sick, but that's all I have to say about that. It looks sicker than the Tesla bot. Well, they are <laughs> going to do xCloud on on Xbox, which is amazing. And I, it's made me realize that I'm on board with the idea that cloud gaming is going to happen, but only, like, for some people. Like, in the future, there's going to be two classes of people. People that live in a beautiful dream where they don't need to buy a console and they can do cloud gaming or whatever screen is on nearest to them and it just works and it's great. And then uh, the real world in America where you don't have good broadband and you have to buy a refrigerator and put it under your TV. Yeah. Those are the two worlds. Anyway, that's it. That's all I have to say about that. So, yeah, let's talk about the amazing Tesla bot, which is also totally real. Alex, would you like to begin? 
Yeah, you do. <laughs> no, I just keep trying to get someone else to do it. <laughs> yes. Tesla did a big AI day where they specifically said the whole point of this day, this event, and it wasn't a day. Technically, it was at night at eight o'clock at night in the United States. We had poor Sean O'Kane and Andrew Andy Hawkins on late at night waiting to cover this event. And they talked a lot about like their their full self-driving car, like all of their AI technology and what they're trying to do there. And then at the very end, they're like, and also we're going to make a robot. And then a person came out on stage. Like an actual person. An actual person came out on stage in like spandex and started dancing my dog is upset. <laughs> so they announced it. They, they showed off this guy just dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no other way to describe it. Um, I think James had an excellent headline, which is like, don't overthink it. This is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but people take Elon seriously all the time. So like other publications like made very serious videos about like, here's what the Tesla bot will be able to do. And it's like, what no. are you talking about? <laughs> like, they're not going to be solving one of the greatest, like, challenges of engineering in the world, in the history of the world, in, like, an, a week. Yeah. A month. I will say that I thought, actually, because, I, again, car CEOs just need homes. So we've been talking a lot of car CEOs lately. Uh, the car CEOs need homes. Out of context, that makes no sense. They canceled the New York Auto Show. <laughs> So there are car CEOs available to be talked to, but we just had the CEO of Argo AI on. He's like, this problem is really hard. Self-driving cars is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's a long way away. Like, and you can listen to it. It's like in depth. And then Elon is like, well, we already built all the self-driving stuff. So we figure we just like put it in a robot and the robot can walk around. It's like, those aren't the same <laughs> problem. And you haven't even solved the first problem. Yeah. Like, L like the self-driving cars still think the moon is a yellow light. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I do recommend if you're interested in, in robots, like, uh, and James put it in our piece on it, we're really used to seeing those Boston Dynamics videos where the robots are all dancing, they look terrifying, they're doing parkour. Boston Dynamics doesn't show you the fact that the robots often fail. So they made another video where they're like, here's how we do this stuff. And that video is far more instructive than the parkour dancing videos because you see the robots are totally beat up. They're constantly being repaired and they fall over all the time. And yeah. that's the company that's the best at it. So if you're, if the Tesla bot piqued your interest, like I recommend the other video where it's like a <laughs> bunch of like, it, they're very happy. Like if your job is to make robots do parkour, like you seem like a happy person, but they're also stressed out <laughs> because they're like, uh, the robot's going to fall down again. Late breaking news. I just found this on a light reading, uh, which is an industry publication. Neil, I need you to know that Dish uh, had for years been uh, supporting the multimedia over coax alliance protocol, but it has now thrown its support behind the home grid forum, uh, G.HN. And so I want, we, we're going to need to start paying attention to these home networking standards alongside no. ORAN. <laughs> so we have, we have a few more things, a few more pieces of the puzzle to put together. You know, I run a Mocha network in this house. I'm just letting do you know really? I do. <laughs> That's old news. Dish is no longer supporting. I mean, Dish is still doing it, but they're throwing their weight behind G.HN, man. Just get on board <laughs> with the future. G.HN. Dish is like, what? What obscure standards can we bet our company on? Uh, no, I turned all the cable wiring in, in my house into Ethernet. And you do yeah. it with Mocha. I was thinking about doing that. So tell me all about it. At some point. Do I have Amazon links for you? <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. Dieter, do you want to end on this phone that burst into flames? 
that's where that's where we should end this particular episode of the Verge Cast. Yeah. Okay. So a uh, Samsung Galaxy A twenty one, according to uh, somebody from the uh, port police in Seattle, uh, so a phone on a plane burst into flames. The plane had landed on Alaska Airlines flight in Seattle. It, the the things just started smoking like crazy town, and so the flight attendants did what the right stuff. They ran over there with a battery containment bag, threw the phone, the like on fire phone into the bag to stop the toxic smoke from filling the cabin. And then they pulled out the slides and everyone in a relatively orderly fashion got out. And I think only two people had to go to the hospital, uh, like no major injuries. Everything is fine. Um, the question is, what phone was it? And uh, according to the passenger who talked to the police, uh, it was a Samsung Galaxy A21, and um, that's all we know. Will there be more? Will there be further Samsung phones that uh, explode? There's a historical <laughs> precedent for it. There's oh, a little no. bit of precedent there. Does A21 have like an oversized battery? Like, I, you know, I don't actually know. I mean, it's the A. It, it's the A series, which is lower ended. It's a 21, so it's the lower end of the lower end, and it is like sold on T-Mobile, right? So you can you could go buy one right now if you really want to, but I don't know, man. Part of me is like phones are going to catch on fire. It's just going to happen, and it's going to happen on a plane every now and then. And so the real question here is, is this a Samsung problem, or is this Samsung just got incredibly unlucky? And I don't know whether in my heart I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I kind of don't, but I also know it's unfair for me not to, like— keep the possibility that they were just unlucky and their phone happened to be the one. I mean, when the Note 7 happened, we were all, like, initially, like, oh, it's just unlucky. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of unluckiness on one phone. (laughs) Like, like phones, you know, every every device that has a lithium-ion battery in it is a potential little little firebomb, right? So there's always the possibility it's going to happen. Maybe somebody dropped it right before they went on the plane and it got dented or something and was just waiting to explode. It's it's possible. But because it's Samsung, I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. I yeah. believe it's only a 4,000 milliamp battery. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the other thing, the, the unluckiness is, like, statistically related to how many A-series phones there are. Ah, true. Right. Like, we talk about this a lot. We don't talk about these phones enough. They are the most popular phones. Yep. Like, these low-end Samsung phones are just, like, the most popular phones in Samsung lineup. They're the most popular Android phones. It's, like, mathematically certain they will be unlucky more often than any other phone. But, oh, poor Samsung. Yeah. Although... They deserve it because if you uh, this week in lock in, if you unlock the bootloader on a Galaxy Z Fold three, it disables the cameras. You gotta be kidding me! Yeah, why does it disable the cameras? Uh, because they need to be able to control the cameras via. I mean, ben- benefit of the doubt, devil's advocate, blah blah blah. Uh, the cameras need to be controlled by Samsung Knox because they need to be able to. If an enterprise wants to shut the cameras down, uh. it needs to be securely managed by Knox. And so if you uh, you know, unlock the bootloader on our phone, you've made it fundamentally insecure. And so the it cuts off access to the camera because the camera needs to be fundamentally controlled by Knox is the devil's advocate argument. It's just a huge throwback for me because we used to just get so angry at companies over uh, locked bootloaders. Um, we don't do it, get angry quite as often now. 
Uh, I think it's because basic Android is good and not crap. We don't feel the mm-hmm. need to load you know, cyanogen on as much <laughs> as we used to. But I feel like it's creeping back. I also feel like locked phones, carrier locks is kind of creeping back. Uh, if not officially, then like all but official. A lot of this lockdown stuff is getting uh, real again. And um, I'm not sure what the like consumer pressure will be to like stop it. But I hope it, it comes. I think App Store stuff might be part of it, but I'm not sure what else. They're justifying it because of security, right? Like that's they kind of figured out like, oh, we can actually lock things in again. We just have to say it's because of security reasons. Yeah. I mean, cynically, it is because of security reasons. Like, phones, phones have a lot of cameras and microphones. Ooh. They need to be secure. Like you, you want that not unlocked. But it seems like, yeah, that like how do you counter at that? How what's what's your complaint for that? Like we don't want people to be able to get into your phone and use it to record you secretly. Yeah. Okay. I would say that it's a pendulum that swings back and forth, but like in reality it's only ever swung a quarter of the way and then it swings right back to <laughs> so like real uh, hard the other way. Yeah. It's like yeah. it never really swings all the way to to open stuff. But with the power of this we can lock in, we will expose these egregious abuses. Yeah. We will change the industry by mentioning one story at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. We've, we've gone way over. We've actually got some great stories that you should read on the site this week. I want to call them out. Ashley Carmen did a big investigation into what it meant for Joe Rogan's influence when he went behind the paywall at Spotify. Ashley, covers the hell out of the podcast industry. One of the things she's been tracking very closely is as the big players start to do exclusives, what does it mean for the, the open ecosystem and like mm-hmm. how it works? So that is a big story. Got a lot of attention this week. We've got a big package called making it work. Uh, I love when we do these, it's just about how businesses use creator platforms. So it's just a huge package, all this stuff. My favorite is always when we do small business, TikTok. So now they're like TikTok tour guides. We have a guide to platform fees, just a lot, lot of cool stories in that package. Go check that out. Okay. Thanks to Addy. And by the way, Addy's explainer on the OnlyFans thing will be up by the time this goes out. So go read that too. But thanks to Addy. You can tweet at her. She's at the Dextriarchy. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Dieter is at Backlon. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. Please tweet at us. Decoder next week is a Harvard Business School professor named Willie Shee. We're into the chip shortage. Mm. Fascinating. Like the chip shortage is not what you think. I'll just leave it at that. But that's a good episode. What is it? Is it lizards? It's like a weird (laughs) combo platter of things. I'll I'll give you one. Uh, The Trump administration told Chinese companies they couldn't buy American products. And so they thought a deadline was coming and they bought a lot of chips and they used up all the capacity because they were stockpiled. Like, (laughs) that's just like not how we think about it. Uh, Car company, uh, listen to Decoder. It's going to be a good one. We will all learn a lot about ourselves uh, and capitalism. (laughs) 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 and we got a big party coming up uh on the on the verge you come to it get get vaccinated and then come and do our party in october uh we're announcing more but tickets are available the post on the site all the info is there if you need it that's it that's first cast rock and roll get a vax Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. 
It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.